So this morning, we're going to be talking about uh, the mission of God. Uh, we're kind of picking up this series called We. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I thought we were in the series called The Way, and we are, but we're kind of taking a, a pause today to re-engage a, a sermon series we've been doing kind of throughout the calendar year called We, meaning We the Church, uh, We God's People, and really taking a look at what does it mean to be the church and how's the church formed. And so the very first sermon, we talked about how the church is a place to belong, that you fit here, that you belong here, that God has put you here, that you can be amongst his people and you have a valuable role to play. We've talked about how the church is formed by our worship, you know, that we are brought together and we are, uh, we are bound not in human relationship, but spiritually with one another, brothers, sisters, and sisters in Christ, and in our worship of the one true God. And this morning, we're going to talk about the church's mission. At Covenant, we say our mission is to know Jesus and make him known, but that's just our really clear, short way of communicating what the whole narrative of the Bible is about, which is how it is that people can come into a saving knowledge of Jesus, how they can be known by their creator and thus be known by, uh, by amongst like God's people. And that this is really God's arc throughout the Bible, is making a people for himself. That there's a people who would say, you know, he is my God, and God would say, they are my people, and that we're one of them. That's God's mission. Uh, there's this really cool documentary that um, is out on Disney+. Plus. A good number of people have seen it. It's called Free Solo. Uh, it's, it's about uh, a mountain climber. Uh, this guy, Alex, uh, let me get his last name, Honold, Alex Honold, who's like a professional mountain climber, but he does, and he's going to try to attempt to, in this documentary, do the impossible, which is scaling the surface of El Capitan, which lots of climbers, I guess, have done. He's going to be the first one to do it without attached to any sort of ropes or harness or to the surface of the wall, meaning if he slips, he falls, he dies, you know? <laughs> The whole time you're thinking in the documentary, please don't end, let this thing end in tragedy. Like we watch this guy fall off the face of the El Capitan. But El Capitan is over 7,500 feet high. And if you look at it, I mean, it looks about as flat as this wall. I mean, it's just super flat. And yet this guy, like, in these small little finger holds and uh, toe holds, he's making his way up the surface of this mountain. It's an incredible thing. Uh, such physical stamina, stamina such mental, mental stamina. I mean, when he was asked, like, why are you doing this? He's like, because I've got to be perfect. He's like, I want to do this because I have to be perfect. And if I'm attached to a rope, I don't have to be perfect. But if I'm without a rope, I have to be perfect. What I really liked about this documentary was the camera work. That it kind of jumped back and forth between either really tight close-up shots of him climbing the uh, surface of this, of this mountain, where you're actually watching him grab with just the tips of his fingers into these cracks or these footholds, and you're super up close, and you're just like watching his, his face and his body just kind of move up the side of this mountain, and then it would pan back out to see the entire surface, this guy that looks like an ant, you know? And over the course of hours and hours and hours, back and forth between him, you know, one hold at a time, one foot at a time, making his way up inch by inch by inch. And as it pans back out, you're just realizing through the uh, lapse of hours, man, this guy's accomplishing his mission. It's moving forward to the very end when he actually gets on top of, uh, on top of the mountain, which is just this incredible experience. 
Well, I share that as an illustration to say, in some sense, that's where we're at with God's mission, that there is a mission, a, a, a cosmic, global, universal mission of God that started from Adam and Eve being kicked out of the Garden of Eden all the way to the time when Jesus will come again to bring to fruition his eternal kingdom, his eternal reign. And we're somewhere in the middle of that. We're somewhere in the middle grinding it out, handhold by handhold, foot by foot, as God's people trying to see the fulfillment of this mission happen. Our big idea this morning is this, that our God is on an unstoppable mission to save a people for himself. And you have a mission, and it's to join him right where you're at. God is on an unstoppable mission to save a people for himself, and you have a mission to join him right, right where you are at. We're going to take a look this morning at uh, a story in 2 Kings chapter 5 in this guy named Naaman who gets healed of his, his leprosy. Now, when the Bible was constructed and these stories were written down, they weren't only stories of God doing super cool things, you know? It wasn't just sort of like, hey, let's just kind of, you know, put down a story that kind of makes you feel like you're watching like Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible doing something like amazing. Like it is that, but it actually was, these stories were written to communicate to God's people in a certain point in time in their history, in their day, truths that were bigger than what they could see or grasp at that time. So this story was written in a time when God's people, Israel, were actually exiled. When I say exiled, what it means is that they, they lived in their, in their land, they had their temple that was set up, their way of life that was set up, religion, culture, society, all of those things were set up. And then it was all decimated when Babylon came through and uprooted them. They destroyed their temple, you know, destroyed their land, and then uprooted their people and took them to a foreign land into Babylon. And so this, this story was written to God's people who are experiencing just a, a disillusionment of, well, well, we were in the land that God had promised us, and we were, we were God's people, and we were supposed to be like worshiping him, and through us, our nation would grow, and God would be accomplishing this great thing. And all of a sudden, it just seemed like it all just got wiped, wiped clean, like a lawnmower just came through and just cut it all down. And so they're there, exiled, and thinking, how is God's mission good, going to advance? How is we of God's people, how are we going to prosper? How are we going to do or play our part in what God is doing? How is it that this stuff is going to advance forward? Has God quit? Has God stopped? And so the author wrote this story to say, no, he has not stopped. The mission continues, and your part is still there as well. All right, so let's kind of dive into this story. Chapter 5 goes like this. The king of Aram, again, Aram is a foreign nation, uh, an enemy of Israel. So the king of Aram had great admiration for Naaman, the commander of his army, because through him, the Lord had given Aram great victories. But, through, uh, but though Naaman was a mighty warrior, he suffered from leprosy. Leprosy was this incurable skin disease. At this time, Armenian raiders had invaded the land of Israel, again, God's people, and among their captors was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. 
One day the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go to see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king about what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king said, and I will send a letter of introduction for you to take to the king of Israel. And so Naaman started out, but with him he brought 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. Not sets of clothing like I'm wearing, but actually long rolls of cloth, which are very expensive in the day. The letter of the king of Israel said this, With this letter I present my, sermon, my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read this letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, Am I God? that I can give life and take it away? Why is this man asking me to heal someone of leprosy? I can see that he's just trying to pick a fight with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard what, that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me, and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. He said, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry and stalked away. I thought he would certainly come out and meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over, my, over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus, he's saying, aren't the rivers of my land better than the rivers here of Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in those and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. But Naaman's officers tried to reason with him. Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very diffi difficult, wouldn't you have done it? So why should you, certainly, or why should you certainly obey him when he simply says, go and wash and be cured? So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times in, uh, as the man of God had instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. Then Naaman and his entire party went back to the man of God. They stood before him, and Naaman said, Now I know there is one God in all the world except in Israel. So please accept a gift from your servant. But Elisha replied, As surely as the Lord lives, whom I serve, I will not accept any gift. And though Naaman urged him to take the gift, Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, All right. But please allow me to load two mules of this earth from this place, and I will take it back with me. From now on, I will never again offer a burnt offering or sacrifice to any other God except the Lord. However, may the Lord pardon me of this one thing. When my master goes to the temple of the god Rimen to worship and there leans on my arm, may the Lord pardon me and, uh, when I bow to. Go in peace, Elisha said. So Naaman started home again. So Israel is receiving this story. They're reading this story of this guy from another nation, this enemy of God who has this chronic skin disease and needs healing. And they're reading this story, and they're reading and paying attention to the characters of the story because the characters are themselves. Who are we going to be in the story? Who is God? Who is Naaman? What is our God up to? There's a couple of universal principles, we could say, a couple of universal realities that are operating within in this story. The first is that regardless of what we perceive to be the mission of God, it's always bigger. 
Whatever we think is God's mission, whatever he's doing in our world and around us, it's always bigger than what we perceive it to be. And no matter the forces that are working against that mission, God is always more powerful. God is always the most powerful force advancing his mission. There is not a single force that can hinder, detract, thwart, or stop God in what he is doing. Uh, As a family, we're uh, driving a car just a couple weeks ago. And, um, you know, I don't know, singing songs or whatever. And uh, kind of out of nowhere, my son uh, Griffin decided to sort of drop this, this thing that he had learned during the course of the week. I don't know if he was watching a YouTube video or something that he uh, had read. Um, but he said uh, to all of us, he said, hey, did you guys know that just like the sun has planets around him, all the stars in the sky are also, also suns with their own planets around them? Now, again, he's seven years old, so I didn't want to say no, duh. You know, I've known that. I was like, no, really, buddy? Tell me about that. I mean, he was sharing with us something that he's like, the universe is bigger than what I perceived it to be. I thought we had just the sun and there were, you know, some planets, but now there's actually other stars with other planets. What does he know that there's a galaxy and other galaxies? This is actually one of my favorite pictures of our galaxy. Uh, we're going to get that there, Robert. There it is. This is one of my favorite pictures of our galaxy because I love this. That little blue circle right there represents like what we can see with our naked eye. Meaning like if you were to go to like the middle of nowhere's Montana and you look up and you're like, oh, the, star, the sky is full of so many stars. The stars are actually only are located within that small little blue circle. There's other stars outside of even our galaxy that we can't not see at all with our naked eye. And then again, we think of this as one galaxy among potentially hundreds of millions of other galaxies in our universe. And you're like, oh man, there is so much. Our universe is huge. And God holds it in the palm of his hand, as the scriptures say. Our God is huge. His mission is huge. You know, we, we live in the nitty-gritty, right? We live in the finger holds of life or trying to, you know, work and make money to feed our family You know, we're trying to make life happen now. Some of you, you know, like my wife, are trying to figure out school for your kids, and you live in the nitty-gritty, and it's hard not to get caught up in that and to realize that there's actually something much bigger than ourselves that's unfolding. And it's important to recognize that, to realize that, because it gives us perspective. It's not just us in this car in Bowling Green. It's not just those who are on this earth There are other planets and other stars and other galaxies that that God is sovereign over, and he's watching over these things. And what this story says to the people of Israel is is your reality might be you're you're captured in this foreign land. Everything you have has been eradicated, but that's not the end of the story. That's not all that our God is doing. Life is bigger than yourself, and the mission of God is bigger than you. And God is overseeing that, and he's advancing that. In their hearts, right, if you're sitting there, you probably hate the Babylonians. You hate the people that took everything from you. And through this story, what God is saying is, but God loves them. But God loves your enemies. God wants them to be part of your family, your faith family as well. Habakkuk 2.3 writes this. Habakkuk was a prophet at the same time that all this was going on. He wrote at the same time that uh, this, uh, uh, Israel was in captivity. He says, 
For still the vision awaits its appointed time. He's saying to Israel, the appointed time of fulfillment of the vision has not yet come, but it does hasten to the end. It will not lie. You might think it's all gone, but it's not. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look around. Church does not look like what we think church ought to look like. Church does not look like the way that it looked like a year ago. The advancement of the mission of God's people doesn't look like the way that we thought that it ought to look like or the way we think that God works. Everything has changed. And even though we think that things have halted or stopped or slowed down, scriptures tell us our God is at work and has been at work and will not cease to work until it's fulfilled. So the mission is bigger than us. But then also, God is more powerful than the forces working against that mission. That our God is the most powerful force in reality that is advancing his mission of making a people for himself, a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and language. So I have a question for you. I mean, who is maybe the most least likely person that could ever come to faith in Jesus? Who's someone you're like, man, this person would never bow their feet at the feet of Jesus. They would never bow their knee at the feet of Jesus. Is it a neighbor, a coworker, a family member? I know last night I was at a funeral with my family. A lot of them don't know Jesus. And they're in their 60s and their 70s. How are these people going to come to know my God? Several years ago that I met Ben, Ben was a tall, well, is, he still lives, (laughs) But Ben is, when I met him, he was, you know, a tall, gangly, redhead guy. You know, he's like 6'7", but not really, probably 6'3", but he was, you know, tall. Um, I met Ben on the campus of BGSU when I worked with crew and did a lot of, like, uh, college student ministry. And my first conversation with Ben was at the student union right outside outside of Starbucks there. And I was getting to know Ben and his story, and he told me about all this backlogged uh, religious baggage that he had that he was kind of bringing into him during his time in college. He was raised Mormon and became disillusioned uh, to that religion, to that cult, Uh, had a lot of baggage that was wrapped up there. Uh, Also for him, too, uh, he was a gay man. His his identity was in his sexuality. The most important thing about who he was was his sexuality. He was in a gay fraternity, and this is who I am. I expect people to accept me for this. I expect you to accept me for this. He was very insecure didn't feel very assured of, his, of himself. He was always constantly looking and searching for affirmation from others. And I just remember talking to this guy and trying to tiptoe my way around, trying not to discourage him or offend him as we talked about God, as we talked about Jesus. And as we left the conversation, I just remember believing in my heart, God, there's no way that Ben will ever come to know you. There's too much baggage here for a man like this to come into a friendship with you, Jesus. But I was wrong. Ben stuck with our group. He found friends with these guys and crew. These guys at crew loved him for who he was, right where he was. We continued to share with him the truth of Jesus, that, Ben, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, it's going to cost you everything. You've got to lay it all down. He's the supreme God. And every time we thought that maybe we would say something that would push him away, that that'd be the thing that would drive him away, 
he always stuck with us. He continued to move forward until finally a year and a half later, Ben and I are back in the student union having a different conversation. Nick, I've come to believe that Jesus is the Lord and Savior, but I don't feel him in my life. I said, Ben, have you ever invited him into your life? Have you ever said and confessed your sins? Have you ever accepted the free gift of his salvation in your life? He's not looking for you to change. He's just looking for you to say yes. He said, I've never done that before. So I showed him some scriptures and encouraged him, and he did. You know, actually, we, we left the union, went down to uh, uh, the bell tower, just kind of a, a couple uh, hundred yards away, and on a park bench there, he said, Jesus, come to my life. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Well, Ben didn't come to know Jesus because of me or any of us in crew. My first conversation, I was ready to bail on Ben. This is too much work. This is too hard. But our God loves Ben. Our God loves our neighbors. And it was God who sustained Ben through that journey of bringing him into relationship with himself. Whatever we think might prevent someone from coming to know Jesus, those are just mental hurdles for us. But for God, they're easily overcomable. Our God can continue to proclaim the message of love through us, that people would come to know him, that people would be saved by him. A couple years ago, I was having a conversation with another group of guys. Um, these are my friends that live down in Columbus, and they're originally from this area. Now, just a caveat to this story. Um, this is before my wife and I started co uh, attending Covenant, so it was a different church. Um, but anyways, I'm talking to my friends down in Columbus, and they're like, yeah, we're like from the Northwest Ohio area. I'm like, oh, really? Like, from where? And they told me someone, and I knew someone from the area. And I'm like, hey, do you know so-and-so? They go to my church. And the guys, like, looked at each other like... They were giving me, the, they were eyeing at one another, and I was picking up some vibes of like, there's a story here. I was like, like, what's going on? Like, you guys are giving each other like looks. Like, what's going on? They're like, that guy goes to your church? I'm like, yeah, he goes to my church. He's like a great guy. He like loves the Lord and like loves other people. And like, you know, I've, I'm able to be in a fellowship group with him. Like, he's super kind and gentle. And they're like, yeah, when we were in high school, like, he was verbally abusive to us. We hate him. And they were in their mind having to grapple with the fact that this man before he really became a follower of Jesus was another way. And now that he's a follower of Jesus, his life had been radically transformed. You know, the church is not filled with a bunch of nice people trying to be nice. The church understands that we're a bunch of scoundrels. We're a bunch of disaffected, unfaithful, selfish people that the Lord was loving enough and gracious enough to rescue us out of our pit of selfishness and self-destructiveness in order to bring us into a saving relationship, love relationship with our Heavenly Father. And my friend who was at church with me, he had come to discover Jesus. His life was transformed. And now this guy and my friends in Columbus who were enemies are now brothers in Christ. The impossible happens and when Israel is sitting here in the foreign land, what God is saying to them is, don't look at Babylon as your enemies. The Babylonians are your potential brothers and sisters in the same faith. They are not your captors. They are potentially the same brothers and sisters of faith who are right before you. Can you see that? Do you believe that? Will you engage in that? 
because God wants to do a work in Babylon through you, just like God wants to do a work in us here in our neighbor's lives right where we're at. And so what does this have to do with us? How do we engage in this story? Well, as I said, the characters tell us something of of what the author was trying to tell us of who you're going to be like. In this time, in this age, who are we going to be like? Are we going to be like the king of Israel? The king of Israel who, when this foreign guy comes and says, point me to the Lord, I want to be healed, he, he gets into the political game. You're just here to pick a fight. You're just here to cause division. You're just here to take away what's mine. He was afraid. He was not willing to engage in the redemptive story and the redemptive mission of God. He was trying to hold on to what was his in this life. And what the author was saying is, don't be like the king of Israel. Be the no-name slave girl. The no-name slave girl who was uprooted from her family, who was uprooted from her home, who was taken to a foreign country, who was now a servant of Naaman. While she was there serving her master, she did not stop teaching and pointing people to Yahweh God. She did not cease to point people to the one true healer. Who are you going to be like, Israel? You see, our God is in the business of using no-name people to advance his mission. Our God is in the business of using no-name people to advance his mission. He's not, we don't line up our celebrities. We don't line up all of our smart people and all of our trained people. It's not the, the pastors and the evangelists. It's not the Billy Grahams that God advances his mission, although he does use these people. It's us. It's us engaging in our neighbors. It's us engaging with those who are not yet a part of his family. Us engaging in our time, and our moment, and our space where we're at right here, right now. We're not waiting for a vaccine. We're not waiting for next year to begin to love our neighbors. It happens now. We are not hindered or thwarted by anything that we think is disrupting our way of life. Because God's love, God is wanting to proclaim his love through us to our neighbors right here and right now. Acts 11 is one of my favorite stories of the Bible. The church in Jerusalem at the time got persecuted against, and so they fled the city out of harm's way, and they go up to Antioch. And in chapter 11, the author says, hey, a church started in Antioch by some of them, by some of them, some no-name men and women. It wasn't Peter, it wasn't Paul, it wasn't John, it wasn't any of the heavy hitters. None of those guys were a part of their people. It was some of them. Some people went and shared the love of Jesus in a new city, and a church started and formed. And in the same way here in Bowling Green, Ohio, God wants to use some of us to share and show the love of Jesus to others. And we can do it right where we're at. We don't have to leave. We don't have to go anywhere. We don't have to wait for another point in time. Right here, right now, we can engage with God in his mission. I want to show you a a video um, interview I did with one of our own, uh, Kyle Hamilton. Um, He's a member here at Covenant. And uh, he works um, on the gas lines, a nine-to-five job, works with his hands, and yet Kyle routinely is taking opportunities to share the love of Jesus with the men and women that he works around. And so I want you to hear just a little bit of his story, so listen to Kyle. Kyle, thanks for 
hanging out with me here a little bit this afternoon. I'm really excited to kind of just jump in with you and just kind of hear more about how it is that you're able to kind of live out God's call in your life right at your work. And you work in natural gas, correct? Yes. Okay. Yes, I work for a natural gas company. I am a corrosion technician. Basically, we make sure that the pipes don't rust Okay. so we don't have leaks. So when you're out on the field working on projects? Yes. Okay, but while you're out working on projects, you've actually found it as a great opportunity to be out to be able to engage with other people in spiritual conversation. Yes. So what's that look like for you? So just yesterday, actually, uh, Monday and Tuesday, I was working with a driller. Um, they were out, struck up a conversation with one of the laborers, and he was basically telling me about his life, uh, told me about how he was in and out of jail mm. as a young guy and spent five years in prison. Mm. Um, during that time when he was in prison, he expressed to me that a lot of the men that he met in there, they were looking for love, which mm. is an amazing thing. Yeah. Uh, they couldn't find love on the outside. Their parents weren't paying attention to them, whatever it would be, and then they found that attention through doing something negative. Yeah. Eventually, it got them in prison, mm -hmm. and they found a brotherhood where people did not judge them for what they did. It was mm -hmm. a commonality. They're in prison together. Mm -hmm. So um, and one of the craziest things that he saw was that one of the guys got out, and within a few months, he came back. And when he came back, it was, hey, guys, <laughs> how's it going? I'm back. And for him, he had love on the outside, so he did not want that. But when he, when he asked me, when he told me that, I asked him right out of the gate. I said, do you believe in God? Hmm. And he said, I love the Lord. Hmm. And he said, I just don't know if he can forgive me for the things that I have done. <laughs> so I asked him, have you ever asked? And he said, I ask all the time. I just don't know if he'll forgive me. Hmm. And I said, you do realize that God sent his son to the earth to die on a cross so that we could be saved and have salvation and live with him forever. I said, that is true love. That's what all of us are looking for. That's what those guys are looking for. That's what you're looking for. And he said, I just don't know. Hmm. And that's kind of where we got cut off. Everything got pretty loud. Yeah. So. so now this isn't a one-time thing. I mean, we've talked before. You've been able to have lots of spiritual conversations yes. with people that you, like, work with. Yep. And you ask really straightforward questions like that. Like, do you yeah. believe in God? Now, have you noticed that people are pretty open to you when you actually ask questions like that? Yes, absolutely. Okay. I mean, most of the time people engage right away. I usually ask questions mm -hmm. to get their feel and just see where they're at. Okay. Yeah. And then kind of from there, kind of figure out how it is that you respond and yep. just kind of share yep. just testimony I, about Christ. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Well, that's super cool, Kyle. Thanks for just sharing just a pinch with us about what that looks like. And I think excitingly, like all of us, like these opportunities all around. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Yep. You're Appreciate welcome. It. Thanks couple things I just want to point out about what Kyle shared. I think one, at a heart level, Kyle is showing up to work and he loves these men and women, whether he knows them or not. He cares about them. He wants what's best for them. He said, he said, everyone is looking for love. I mean, that's true. Naaman was looking for love. Yeah, he, he on the outside, wanted, he thought he wanted healing from his leprosy. But if you see through his pride, his pride was such a guard against being fully loved by God who says, I don't want anything from you. I don't want anything from you. You don't have to have a big title, big name, lots of money. I see you. I care about you. I love you right where you're at. And God uses his people to display this to them. I think as Kyle is saying, when he shows up at work, he wants to be a vessel of love to them. And then he asks good questions and he listens and he engages with them. And this is what our world needs. This is what they want. People want to share their thoughts and opinions. But they're afraid of being judged. They want people to ask about their spiritual lives. 
And if there's people who genuinely want to listen and extend a listening ear, every single one of us can do that right where we're at to those who don't know Jesus. And so my step, my application to this whole sermon is this. Would you embark with us on a two-month journey of loving your neighbor? Loving your neighbor. We're not going to do a big outreach event this is not about trying to like take on like a Saturday and do this four hour like long thing. What this is saying is that every moment of every day, the Lord wants to use us right where we're at. And so love your neighbor. This is not a sermon series. Next week, Kyle will be back up here preaching um, the way. And so we're going to continue with that sermon series. But every Monday, we're going to drop a video that's about five minutes long, both on Facebook and through like our, our email. It'll come out. And uh, it'll be five minutes on how it is that you can that week take a step towards loving your neighbor with the gospel. It's going to challenge just the way you think about others, the way you think about yourself. And then there's going to be a couple of applicable, hey, do this or this this week. And so, and you can apply it that week. You know, it's not something you have to wait for or uh, you have to plan for. It's something that you can put into practice right away. And what we're trying to do is over the next six weeks is that our, we can take up a lifestyle just like this servant girl. We can take up a lifestyle of pointing people to Jesus Christ. And then the real mechanism of this, you could say, is through community groups. Our community groups, as they meet over the next two months, are going to be talking about these things, you know. What challenged you from the video? What did you like about the video? What are you applying from the video? Who can we be praying for? Who's your neighbor that uh, the Lord has put on your heart? And so we're going to be praying for another, supporting, encouraging, and coming alongside of one another in community groups as we seek to love our neighbors. The fact is this, is that whoever is your neighbor or that family member, I don't live next to them. Kyle doesn't live next to them, but you do. Naaman's access to the gospel was a servant girl. If she had not shared anything with him, who would have? It was her, and it's you, and it's all of us. And so let us together choose to take up the call of the mission of God. I love this quote by Dr. Helen Delier. I'm going to end with this. She says, when you obey God, you will discover your call as much bigger than you. So let us engage with and enter into God's unstoppable mission of saving a people for himself. Let me end us in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we talk about your mission, as we talk about our role and even the global scale of it, Lord, how are we also not aware of how you've worked in our life? That God, that you sent others to proclaim to us your love for us, that you use your very church to both share and show your love, that God, you use no-name people in our life, and that God, you want to use us too. Father, would you put before us the distractions? God, would you bring to mind the things that are hindering us both in heart and mind that would keep us from entering the true mission of loving our neighbor. God, how is it that we're caught up in the politics of the day and the narratives of the day, the conversations of the day that are taking away from us 
proclaiming and showing and pointing people to you. God, will we repent of those things? Would we lay them aside? As people in a foreign land, God, will we not see the people around us as enemies, but as potential future brothers and sisters in our faith? Amen.